I feel both a privilege and a responsibility when capturing each founder's story. I feel it even more acutely when speaking to founders such as Rob and Paul, the duo behind Gandhi's. It's the most heart-wrenching but incredible story, a true testament to the strength of human nature and the ability to triumph over adversity. This was a highly emotional interview at times, but I finished the conversation feeling full of joy, hope, and with an unwavering belief that when we set our minds to do good in the world, wonderful things can be created. I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. I'm the founder of Not on the High Street and Holly and & Co, and I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses. I believe that having a business, doing what you love, is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everybody start theirs. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs, and those who just simply inspire me, and asked them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor, NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things... Hello Rob and Paul, so lovely to meet you both. You've been on our podcast list for a long time now and I remember watching your Gandhi's advert years ago and being so utterly inspired. I knew I had to meet you both and it's a shame it's over tech, uh, but nonetheless... I'm very, very excited. Um, First of all, we're currently 12 weeks into lockdown here in the UK, and I'm recording this series remotely from my desk. Paul, you're in the same, you're actually both recording from separate rooms, is that right? Yeah, so he's upstairs and I'm downstairs, and we're, we're doing our social distancing even though we're brothers. It feels, it does feel weird. How are you both keeping at the moment? So yeah, nice to not do a Zoom quiz, something slightly different, um, but I've, I've been keeping... <laughs> Keeping very well. We're, I, I'm back in the office, just getting things ready to start as 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 the lockdown starts to ease. Well, uh, hi to both of you, and it's this is just going to be a great conversation. We always begin this podcast with your story, your upbringing, and your story is highly emotional. You suffered great loss from a young age, but before we touch on those life changing events, could you share what childhood life was like for you both, as it was quite a bohemian one. Yeah, our, our upbringing is, you know, something that people dream of these days in terms of, you know, you see these Instagram pages and it's the dream to take your kids on a wild adventure. And, you know, we had a very different upbringing. Our parents, both Paul and I are dyslexic and they knew that, you know, we weren't built for classrooms and um, they they took us on a holiday. It was a last minute deal on teletext um, and, and we went to India. And, and when we came back, the house was on the market and, they just said, who fancies moving to India? And that was it. We got a one-way ticket out and um, there was no looking back. And, you know, they just wanted to show us a different way of living, be out of the rat race. They'd spent years kind of working day, night, and not really getting much quality kind of family time, which, you know, obviously at the moment, a lot of people have managed to have, you know, in this in the lockdown. Mm. I've, I've got lots of friends that have said, oh, it's amazing. I can play football with my son at lunchtime. I can go on a bike ride. I can, you know. Um, you know, we, we managed to have that quality time when we went traveling, which, which was, which was great. But obviously, yeah, the, the, there were circumstances that changed that, but it was, it was definitely something we'd never, we'd never want to change. And Paul, it was, your parents actually, ha, um, their business was within social enterprise. Is that right? 
Yeah, so they, um, quite early on, they were doing social enterprise before, kind of, it's now a common uh, thing. Yes. They worked, they worked so many so many hours. That after that, they were like, we need to see the kids more. They had six yeah. six kids. Um, it was meant to be a six-month trip, and it ended up being basically four and a half years of just living like hippies. How incredible this is that you've had that experience. You weren't necessarily you know, as you just said, receiving this conventional education, but my gosh, you were picking up skills and lessons that could never be taught at school. What important life lessons do you think you learned from your parents and that time traveling? I think um, one of the important things is being able to adapt. I think in, you know, when, when we were young, you know, Paul and I, it'd be like, a, you know, we'd be able to just jump on a bus or a train in India and kind of be doing that from a young age by ourselves. Um, people skills as well. You know, we, we met all different people from all different walks of life, different ages. You see kind of things, how they work a bit quicker. You know, sometimes when you're in school, it's a bit sheltered. Yeah, so uh, we always saw people worse off. And then the, the volunteering that we did as well, uh, also helped us um, with, for later in life with what we do with our, our foundation. Um, then in 2004, you were about to return to England and your parents were going to set up a new business. So you spent this idyllic Christmas in Sri Lanka. But the following morning, your world um, was turned upside down um, when the deadliest tsunami hit. And it's been recorded as one of the largest in human history. Um, if it's not too painful, would you mind sharing your story of this time in your life? I'll tell you about maybe the bit uh, in the run up to it. So it was Christmas the day before and um, we had an amazing Christmas. We were surfing and stuff and we went to bed. And um, basically, uh, it was about half eight in the morning, a small wave comes in and I'm in bed and um, Rob um, is in the same room as me. My little brother and sister are um, down at the front with our parents. And my sister, Jo, older sister, she'd uh, got in a taxi. So she was going back to the airport to go to um, back to India to get her connecting flight. And my other sister, Marie, who she, the one who adopted us, she was in um, Hampshire, uh, where she lives. Um, and, um, yeah, Christmas had been, and basically I was in bed asleep, and Rob uh, was like, Paul, you need to get up, you need to get up. And I was like, oh, shut up, will you bugger off, sort of thing. Like, I'll um, get mad. I'll get mad in bed in the morning. It's a nightmare, literally. So I still, bad. Have, still have the same yeah. problem today. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, Rob, Rob kept saying, Paul, you need to get up. You need to get up. And I was like, oh, shut up. So then I was like, oh, crap, there's water in the room. Yeah, maybe I do need to get up. We then walk out and we go, this is weird. There's like more coming. And the waiters are putting the chairs on the tables. And we're like, what the hell's happened here? People are saying, a bomb's gone off at sea. A sewage pipe has uh, burst. No one knew what it was. Um, but it felt weird. There was like no birds and stuff. It was as if mm -hmm. like something you know like it was weird the animals is uh sort of like vanished and stuff there's like weird feeling in the air and then the wave goes out really really far um and all we see is like this is weird there's no there's no uh sea now for like two miles and then um the next minute the wave then starts pushing in and um basically it starts getting bigger and, and bigger and um uh rob 
grabbed my arm and uh, pulled me up and it was taking the roof tiles off the roof as it was coming in. And if, if uh, Rob hadn't grabbed my arm or woke me up and um, that was, that was kind of happening where we were. And then our little brother and sister, our parents basically put them on their shoulders to get them out of the room. And they were like literally a meter from the beach, whereas we were like 25 meters from the beach. Um, and they put them on their shoulders and then we found um, our little brother in a tree and we, we were like, we need to go inland. So we run up the train tracks and um, loads of devastating, you know, like people uh, being carried that, you know, um, are dead. Um, so we got to a mosque and we were like, hey, let's pitch up here because it's um, higher up um, and a strong building. So we were on the roof on there. But um, we then um, found our sister, uh the surfers had rescued her and she need she had like needed stitches on her arm and stuff and that and and then we went went looking and stuff i'm going into too much detail you know for us when we initially uh started gandhi's we actually didn't tell our story um because you know one we weren't comfortable telling it you know uh, over the years we had so many friends that after they only found out our story after starting gandhi's and they were like i've played cricket with you for like mm. 10 years or football or every week you play football and how did I not know that about your life? And I'm like, well, never asked what my parents did. You know, you don't, you, you, that doesn't come up. It's not the kind of conversation you, you have. So we've learned to just get on with life. But then when it was approaching the 10 year anniversary to the tsunami, we kind of said, what can we do to, you know, again, do something that was a bit more than just existing and our normal nine to five. And, you know, um, that that was where you know we we came up with the idea for Gandhi's, but but the the reason kind of for all of that was because of this you know this tragedy that we experienced and you know for for us we've gone from this amazing lifestyle of traveling around the world seeing how other kids lives and that's what our parents wanted to teach us to suddenly we were those kids we we were the orphans now and we were the biggest Western family orphan by by the tsunami. Um, yeah, initially we were never comfortable telling our story, but what we've seen over the years is, you know, we can go out and, um, you know, tell our story and we've had all sorts of different people where, you know, our customer service team will say, we've had someone say that their mum's given them our book and they're like, she said that she didn't want any, uh, any flowers at a funeral. She wanted to donate uh, it to your foundation, things like that. A girl that wears only wears our stuff after losing her parents in a car crash, and she's in Denmark. And we're like, one, we're not we're not really over in Denmark, but she somehow heard about the brand, and now she's like, you know, uh, I, I I I can only wear your brand. So when we get stuff like that as well, that kind of uplifts us because obviously for us, we've uh, we've equally had someone else that lost uh, their 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 mum. Um, in uh, and their dad in the tsunami um and and they they message going i don't know how you two do what you do they're like i struggle to live and i've just i've always wanted to ask you the question of how like and I, we went back saying no not every day is you know we're not always out being advocates for the brand we do have the dark days we do have the struggles we do we have all of that as well but ultimately we know that what we've been doing has been building kids campuses and and, and actually, it's given us a positive distraction and, and something to focus on to try and do some mm. good rather than, you know, I think there's, you know, you can look back at the, you know, the, the terror of it all, or you can say, actually, you know, let's look forward and try and do something positive. Uh, 
and and Paul, you you had other sibling. You th- this story of how after this most tragic of circumstances, and I'm so incredibly sorry to both of you for your loss. Um, and they, your parents sound like absolutely amazing people that could be on this podcast. Do you know what I mean? They were really, really cool people. Um, you had this unbelievably epic tale of getting your siblings back home. What was that time like? Because it, it's it's really, I mean, it almost feels like a movie of survival. Yeah, well, it, it kind of was. I was in a T-shirt that uh, just and my boxer shorts had slept the night before in so I was like we need to look at how we can get back up to Colombo it was about 170 190 kilometers to the, the airport so we had to hitchhike up all the petrol pumps were down the trains were obviously down and everyone was kind of scrambling trying to do the same obviously so um, we, we hitchhiked um, and we got back to the embassy and um, uh, the sister and that got stitched up looked after we got some clothes and that and then um we kind of had, we had loads of adrenaline going through us and stuff mm. um we slept one day be- before um we tried to hitchhike um because we want to look for our parents and stuff and um we then yeah we got to the embassy and we were like well we need we've got a chronic asthmatic who's really bad so we were like okay we need to just get them them back so uh we got got uh on the plane um it was really cool actually because we never ever went into a business class lounge so uh we were going in there like eating as much food as as possible um we, we were young um and then um as we landed at Heathrow we were had these like gold blankets and stuff and basically everyone went to get off to get off the plane and uh these everyone the captain says can everyone please sit down so we were like oh god so we all sat down and then um and then basically these police came on with these machine guns and basically took us off and we didn't have our passports or anything. And um, we went through a back door of Heathrow and it was the quickest time we've ever been through Heathrow. Heathrow. We were literally through and out in five minutes. So that was the only good thing to happen. Literally picked up yeah, on a, from a minibus off the runway. And, and that's why our story was never told because they said, obviously, uh, uh, you know, it was one of those that we had police on our back door, front door, you know, Scotland Yard had, warned all press they weren't allowed near our story because obviously like it would have been one of the main stories that you know we would have then kind of been that family you know and you you, you'll know a lot of the stories in the tabloids over the years you know our our name our family would have just become one of those stories Mm -hmm. and uh, and obviously because we were all children with no adult to kind of look up you know that it was in in fairness and they actually did a uh, you know, a lot of justice to to be able to actually prevent any of that from happening. And they also changed our names as well. So we had we had fake name. Well, um, Rob Rob was a little bit older. He was seventeen, so he didn't have to go to school. But we had to go straight to school. So we got put into this school by my sisters, and um, we didn't know that our parents had died and stuff for a few months. But basically, we had to go to school because uh, of the law sort of thing. Even though you, we didn't want to. Um, so we went to school and we had um, to have we changed our last names so that no one could uh, work mm-hmm. out why we were there and stuff. So the the police were really good at protecting us. I, 
it's it's just quite a harrowing tale that you've just told and I'm sure anyone listening is taking a moment just to sort of um, understand really how you did that and as young children um, what you did was quite extraordinary. How do you think this experience has now shaped your life? I think in many different ways it's um, it's one of those uh, uh, people ask would you be doing what you're doing you know if if mm. none of this happened I, I kind of would say yes um I think so right I mean it feels like it was in your yeah, DNA I kind of go, you know just all the simple things you know you know whether you know we were always out at the markets in India or stuff like that when we were younger we'd be out car washing I remember you know washing the guy the the car of the guy that founded costa i mean like how did you get this he was like i started a coffee chain i was like okay he's got his own go-kart track <laughs> how do you do that it was good it was good cleaning it was good cleaning yeah. their cars because uh yeah, yeah. They, they paid well <laughs> um, so you know that we you know there, there was things where we've always had that you know entrepreneurial kind of spirit there um but I, I think obviously what we learned in terms of all the volunteering and things like that, we've kind of then made sure that was part of the balance of what we're doing um, because of obviously everything that we learned from our parents. And, and again, the, the experiences we went through in life, we, we were very lucky to come back to great family and friends to support us to get us through that period. Um, you know, we know there's a lot of other people that don't have that um, you know, so mm-hmm. so that's where we've always seen that as in as important. And again, it's not a case of we can help millions of kids from you know from us. You know, we're still a small brand, but we're we're doing what we can. But if it inspires other people to try and do something positive, and we see that now with so many kids constantly, you know, contacting us about our brand and school projects. It's funny between us, we've got one GCSE, but we've now been in national a levels we've we're in we've been on you know business papers sats gcses we've been in all those exam papers but between us we haven't got the exams ourselves <laughs> um but we're, but we're in the curriculum um i love um, it and paul and paul for you I, th- I think um from it happening it's made us like a lot tougher and like um going through what we went through is probably the worst thing that's ever gonna happen to us hopefully touch wood so um, when we've had like bad days doing this, because as you know, from uh, starting on the high street and stuff, like it's like a big roller coaster with loads of ups and downs. And um, we did two years living on beans on toast and you've kind of, you got, we had another housemate and I'm sleeping on his sofa and we're struggling to pay him uh, rent sort of thing. And we're like, shit, what do we do? Blah, 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 blah. Um, people don't necessarily always see the struggles and stuff mm. at the start. And I think loads of the, that stuff there really helped us. Um, and it still helps us today uh, when you have a problem. It's kind of, it's not really a problem when, when, no, when you compare something it. like that. It's kind of shaped us and probably made us tougher. Um, and it makes us, we want to do something for them, for their legacy. So that drives us. We want our kids' campuses all around the world. We want to keep traveling all around the world. Um, and that's kind of what our parents instilled in us. And that's that's their legacy. And that's what we'll do until we both yeah, die ourselves. Tough times don't last. Mm. Tough, to, tough people do is the kind of, I think, the, the thing our parents mm. taught us. So, you know, no matter what we're facing, every business will have that as well now moving forward. It's going to be a tough period for lots of people. 
Um, but ultimately, you know, you've just got to look to the positives and fight your way through all the all the, all the noise. Want to win a one-to-one 90-minute mentoring session with me? Well, thanks to NatWest, you can. All you need to do is sign up to the NatWest Business Builder using our code to be in with a chance. The Business Builder is an entirely free e-learning site packed full of information and advice, covering everything from well-being to finance. Head to natwestbusinesshub.com forward slash Holly Tucker to find out all the details. Now, as you know, each week we run a competition with NatWest who, in a world first, give away their ad break space to small businesses and independents. They truly believe in the power of small and want to give you the opportunity to showcase your brilliant businesses to hundreds and thousands of listeners. So without further ado, let me hand over to this week's NatWest independent ad break winner. My name is Vicky and I'm the founder, designer and creative director of Dilly Gray. Dilly Gray is an award-winning ethical lifestyle collection of Indian-inspired artisanal clothing and homewares, creating beautiful, considered products in a mindful way. We've become well-known for our signature hand-block printed organic cotton, wafty bohemian dresses, as well as a dreamy collection of sleepwear, quilts, home accessories and gifts. We call it Everyday Luxury with Soul, which has a wanderlust magic of India sewn into every single design. Our tagline, ethical, beautiful, handmade, was born out of a deep-felt passion to create a brand that left a positive footprint behind, supporting artisan industries, paying a fair wage and showcasing heritage, handmade craftsmanship. My vision is to create everyday luxury that has a soul, a story to tell and will infuse your wardrobe and home with a sprinkling of the magic of India. This month we are sharing 10% of the profits of all sales with our artisans and food banks in India to help support them during lockdown. So if you would like to lose yourself in our Indian-inspired boho world, visit us online at dillygray.com or in our Barnes Boutique in London. Namaste, Vicky. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, we've created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website, holly.co. And so you say that you didn't tell your story, your friends playing cricket didn't even know about it, but it was on that 10th anniversary um, that you decided to mark that occasion, is that right, and and do something. And so where did this wonderful name Gandhi's come from? I'll let Rob explain. It's not the most glamorous (laughs) way, Holly. It's always the way, isn't it? You you want to rewrite history a little bit, don't you? And make it a little bit sexier, our stories sometimes. Sometimes you do, but unfortunately, <laughs> Paul's just dropped me in it. I can't do that. Um, and it was a case of, you know, saying, oh, you know, I woke up at a festival with a mouth like Gandhi's flip-flops and just wondered if anyone had ever made flip-flops called Gandhi's and, and nobody had. <laughs> it was just using an urban term and at that time I'd never even heard of David Gandhi either in terms of the biggest male supermodel in the world so then we get people think that we're related to him uh, as you can tell we're not so um but also actually it's it's interesting because obviously we brought up in India as well and there was Gandhi and that's why we changed the spelling and we didn't want to you know and again with everything that you've got going on now in terms of the protests and things like that you know there was a lot from his values and standing up for what he believed in and things like that, that we got taught as well. So as Paul said about 
um, history and our parents doing things a bit quirky and, and teaching us things, you know, they teach us about, you know, that whilst we were traveling. And, and Paul, did you, so it, it, how did you decide on flip-flops? That's because you both didn't have fashion or manufacturing backgrounds. Um, yeah. How did, how did that come about? So we both lived in flip-flops when we were traveling and um, we thought that we wanted, we wanted to build a children's uh, home, like our kids campus for the 10 year anniversary. And we thought that what does, what does everyone wear? What can everyone afford? And we thought, flip-flops um the product solving universal problems and once you created these beautiful flip-flops which were made of sustainable materials um you were very persistent marketeers is this right so you, you were I, I i suppose because you had such a purpose behind so you you started your business to sell the flip-flops to build your first home is that right that was the point yeah correct yeah, Rob was still working his current job. I moved back from, I was living in Melbourne. And um, when Rob said about, do you want to do these flip-flops and stuff? I was like, yeah, okay, kind of could work. And I, I thought, mm, yeah, I'm not too sure. And then when he said about the uh, building a kids campus for our parents and the 235,000 people that lost their lives in the tsunami, I was like, okay, I can't say no to that. That's amazing. So then I flew back. Um, so we started. we started off, with a community uh, Facebook page and it kind of went from there. But then we were like, okay, what else could we do to make noise and get eyes on the brands as, as you, you know, it's the first couple of days your friends and family buy. And yeah. then after that you're like, shit, what do I do now? <laughs> I've told everyone I've started a business. Can't let I've told know. everyone I know, every neighbor knows <laughs> everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we got some postcards uh, printed. Rob would sit at home kind of doing the Facebook page and I would go off for the day handing out postcards so I'd go down to Clapham Common, I'd go down to tube stations, literally everywhere. I'd stand there all day talking to everyone about these flip-flops. And then I'd run home at the end of the day and be like, oh, how many how many sales have we got? And he'd be like, none. Literally, it's just trial and error, trying to do anything you can. So I got on a train, went to a few boutiques that I found online, and basically all three of them had ordered, put an order in there and then. And I was like, oh my God, wow, what do I do? Crap. Like, I was writing it down on a scrappy piece of paper. They they yeah put the orders in and then whilst I was there, a big retailer got a brochure and like loved the concept and the name and stuff, and uh, they wanted to order, but they were they were too corporate and big for us, and we were like no, we, we didn't feel that they were right naturally, but they gave us the confidence. Uh, yeah. To Rob then quit his job and uh, that was it. Off, and that was it. End. You were on your way. And it was back in early 2010 um, when eco-friendly products weren't what they are today at all. But you stayed true to these core values. And Selfridges were one of your first brand names to stock you, which must have been an incredible moment. What was funny is uh, they still didn't know we were in our bedroom at the time. Um, <laughs> so we had a bit of success at the start, but then you also have those those moments of darkness as well, because Paul had one guy that said, you can't be a brand, you can't call yourself a brand, and literally chased him out of the store and was really rude. There was a couple of shops, there was a couple of shops that like kind of laughed at it. They were like, uh, these are too organic, too sustainable, we don't care about that sort of thing. Because back in t- 2012, it was very different it was only recent it was only like three sort of three years ago when David Attenborough and you know like mm, government yeah. started clamping down on plastic and stuff that consumers have started to change and the younger generation yeah, and yeah. rapidly change yeah and the younger generation absolutely we're in and Greta and everything yeah. that's been going on yeah absolutely but you were you were right there at the 
at the beginning. And this and and your work with Selfridges and things like that and these big names led to a chain of the most prestigious shops in the UK, including a collaboration with Liberty. Can you tell us about this wonderful story? So no, that was amazing. You know, we um, Liberty had had that TV program as well at the time that was extremely popular and everyone yes. loved. And when we went into all their archives and pulled out all these amazing prints and it went into the front of all their windows and it sold out within 12 hours. And they were like, we've, we've never sold anything so quickly online, online as well, because the prints would, it, it was so affordable in terms of the flip flops, you know, it wasn't, it was 20 odd yes. pounds, et cetera. So again, for them, it was accessible and it had never been done on a flip flop, a Liberty print. So it worked, you know, it worked really, really well. And, and it was quite fun for them as well. Yes. Because that, that kind of put us on the map and it made people t- in the fashion world and stuff take us seriously. Yeah, because I remember well. we then, we, we, then uh, we had um, the WGSN Global Awards and there was uh, Burberry, Christopher Bailey and kind of Victoria Beckham and all these, you know, that, that, that was all going on. And we got invited to the awards and we turned up and it was, I think it was a November wet, miserable night. And we turned up in our flip-flops and... Um, we actually had tuxedos, but we cut the we cut the legs off and basically wore them as shorts so we could wear our flip flops. And when we went in, everyone was looking at us in disgust and was like, "What are you two doing?" Thinking what then, idiots. Yeah, then, we were, we were idiots. idiots. And then and then we won an award. Um, so it, you know, it ended up being incredible. And then everyone didn't think he was so. Yeah, they were like, "Now we can. get it." Um, so. <laughs> that was cool, but you know that that being bold at the start really did help as well because we did that and it got us a collaboration um, with another big global retailer and um, they put it in all their stores, like fourteen hundred stores worldwide. Um, they, they made a significant donation to our pro- to our foundation to to build um, a project, etc. And, and 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 on that trip, we actually ended up doing a press trip and it was tied up with David Cameron. I was doing so we do a lot of talks in schools and universities and things like that. And it just so turned out that this one school that had gone down to tell our story, the prime minister's speechwriter was there. And he said he was going to Sri Lanka. They were doing a trip. And we were like, well, we're just about to open a new kids camp. And, and that all got tied in as well. So it was it, before Brexit, the thing yeah. of David Cameron. <laughs> yes. but, but just, you know, the, these kind of things were happening. And there we were going from an idea in our bedroom to trying to hand out a postcard to not getting anywhere with it, to suddenly doing all these kind of amazing things. And, the irony, even the postcard story, was actually Paul. Paul actually went. We went for a meal not a few years ago, and someone went. Do you know what? I was actually once on Clapham Common, and I got that postcard. I remember your story, and we were like, "Oh, so you know." So people, it, it did actually absorb in. But as as you know, with Martin Holly, sometimes it's not the first time they see it. It's you know, it, it takes oh, five, no. six, seven times before they you know. Yeah, and it can take yeah. years, can't it? Which it led actually all what you're saying led to extraordinary, as you're describing, a chain of events, including winning a V&A Global Fashion Award and going to Downing Street. And both of you turned up in flip flops then as well. Um, so was this like what you did? You were just well, quite, Downing Street was quite funny because you have to put your you've probably been there as well. Yes. But you have to put your stuff through like airport security. Yes, you do. Police with machine guns, and the guy was yeah. Like, one, of, one of them said you can't come in, and the other one went, "No, no, no! It's the Gandhi brothers. They only wear flip flops." So that was it. They let us in. And he said, "Oh, the last person to come here in flip flops was probably Gandhi himself." Oh my goodness! I mean, what? It's quite extraordinary. It really is, and I know it's all captured within your book, from the postcards all the way to um, Downing Street. And and tell us your main. 
driving focus behind the business, that mission was to have enough money to build an orphanage in Sri Lanka, the place where you both became orphans yourself. And you did it on the 10th year anniversary of the tsunami. Is that right? Um, I would love for you to tell me about that. But before that, just huge congratulations to you both. What a, what an unbelievable moment. It was back in 2014. Um, can you describe what that was like, that moment? So for, for us, that, you know, the, the thing we enjoy the most is when we go to our projects. Um, and, uh, you know, d- d- obviously, it's a bit weird now with travel, lockdown restrictions, etc. But, you know, yeah. we, we did, we were supposed to be in Brazil, just opening a new kids campus that we've done. And, and for us, that's, you know, when we're bogged down with spreadsheets and all the other stuff you know that's what makes it all worthwhile and um when we did the Sri Lanka one we actually had it where we'd gone back a year before or so when we started doing all the research and projects and looking into everything and planning and when we first went back we actually uh we almost flew home after a day because we couldn't face the actual you know going Mm -hmm. there and um we put up this post about following in our parents' footsteps about how we wanted to continue their legacy, et cetera. And we actually had, by the time we landed, it had a million views and, um, and it made us go all these people saying battle for it. You can do it, et cetera. And then we went, well, we can't say we've come home after 24 hours. Now we've got, we've got to do it now as much as, yeah, we did. Um, and it was extremely emotional for us. And, and, for many years we'd had a sour taste of Sri Lanka and we, you know, not anything to do with the people. We just hated thinking about ever going to Sri Lanka or being there or anything. And, but then we'd done that trip. And then as time's gone by, now we've had many, many trips there where we've gone and done all sorts, you know, safaris, Sagira rock and our kids campuses. So we all tie it back to our don't just exist and the things we would have done with our, our parents whilst traveling and stuff. So now it's become, now we can make pleasant, you know, memories from it. And um, when we went yeah. to the kids' campus the first time, you know, pulling up and they had all the big flags. And whenever we go there, we've got this amazing lady, Mama Tina, that runs it for us and looks after all the kids. And it was her dream to always uh, actually run, a, you know, a kids' project. And she she literally, you know, 24-7 puts all her time and effort into that. And obviously the, there's two different things to it. It's running it and then funding it and making it all happen. So, yes. you know, we put all the energy into the, the first half. And, and we're, obviously we're, we keep checks on it, but but she puts all the energy on the other side. And she doesn't have to worry because she knows we're doing the other part. Um, that's been a, a very good partnership. And, that, and that's been the same. We've now built one in Malawi and in, in Brazil, Nepal and... Uh, and who knows, you know, how many more we can do. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing, amazing time when we see that all come to life. And Paul, I'm sure you hear it a lot, but as a mother and my 15-year-old boys in the other room, you must hear it a lot, but how unbelievably proud your parents must be of you both because it's quite extraordinary. You're both so young still now and the impact that you've already made on uh, retail, entrepreneurism, doing good, but also what I can only imagine looking at you both, what you're going to do, you know, what's still to come. And um, you must be told that all the time, but I just wanted to say that your parents must be so, so bloody proud of you both. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We 
teamed up with our friends at Three and all year we'll be working together to make business dreams come true. Share your dreams on social using hashtag Holly and Co Dreamer and who knows what will come true. With Three Means Business Plan, I love that you can get up to £500 worth of benefits from their specialist partners to help give your business a helping hand. Whether you need support with accounting or building a new website, Three have got you covered. Now over to a short story about those that dreamt big and flew. All of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them, are the words shared by Walt Disney. Walt was born in Chicago in 1901, one of five children, and identified his love for drawing early on. It was this passion that would define his life and legacy. He took art and photography classes as a schoolboy, as well as additional evening courses at the Art Institute of Chicago. At 16, he dropped out of school and joined the Red Cross in France before returning to the US and starting work as a commercial illustrator. But it was in the early 1920s that Disney took a leap of faith and moved to California to set up the Disney Brothers Studio with his brother Roy. Mickey Mouse was the first character to capture the public's imagination and would pave the way for 22 Academy Awards, numerous Oscars, as well as the two theme parks opened in his lifetime. As we know, today Disney is a multi-billion pound legacy that continues to thrive. The path was not always smooth. Walt's first studio forced him to declare bankruptcy and he built the Disney Studios during the Great Depression. But throughout his journey, he stayed true to his vision, his passion and mantra. First, think. Second, dream. Third, believe. And finally, dare. Don't forget to share your own business dream using hashtag Holly and Co Dreamer. To discover more about Three's business plans, search Three Means Business. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. I wanted to ask you, um, you go on to basically create a range of products, don't you? you um, and I was before we recorded, I, I was telling you that my... Um, now fiance it's taken him 18 years to ask me to marry him but anyway I can call him my fiance now Congratulations. Um, oh well thank you very much um uh, he is a huge fan and absolutely loves your clothing so you went on to create swim shorts backpacks towels and you have now a wide range of ethical travel clothing and accessories and you went on to open your first stores what was that like because it I know from Holly and Co's little experience that going from sort of online to the physical world, it's quite romantic, isn't it, as a concept, but it's quite yeah. difficult to do. It's quite fun as well because you kind of, you're getting involved with it visually and then you've got people coming in, touching and feeling and having a chat about what they like about the products and stuff. But then it's also quite stressful in the other sense that if it's a wet Tuesday or something. and No one's coming yeah, in. No one's coming in. <laughs> Uh, that's and that's why we do pop-ups as well is it's kind of just pop up make a big impact and then um, move to a different place and do the same again and we have a, an energetic uh, team of people that have, have done this to help uh, get the brand out there our message out there and what we're doing as well and you also don't have a, a big long 10-year 
uh, lease that you're stuck in. You're stuck into, which is so many people are being crippled with, um, especially in this time. And you've gone through quite a transition, haven't you, from having those physical spaces to to now concentrating online. What do you think that this experience of online retail versus actually high street shops, and we were talking about independence, what do you think potentially is going to be the future? Because I'm a massive advocate that something good will come out this time, more independence on the high street. But you, you had a you had an interesting point of view about that. Well, from from my perspective, I, I just think that in terms of until the the rents and the rates and all these things are addressed, it, it just still makes it very very challenging. Um, and 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 as Paul mentioned, you know, going in sometimes high impact, get that you know that drive initially and collecting data might potentially be the way to do it um and that's something that we've seen and you guys like made.com you know they still do these these stores to let some people you know so it still needs to be there to a certain level but um i i think you know if you're if you're a small business or a couple starting out and you're going oh let's let's invest you know we want to start our own store i just think it's going to be too challenging everyone's saying that it's going to become this great high street of independence again and i i just can't see how that will happen because if your bigger retailers can't afford it in terms of cash flow and all of that, well, how 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 is a couple putting their life savings into doing it? It's it's a, it's going to be very tough and trying to trying to just somehow get that footfall going. It's it's not just going to happen. People are becoming even more reliant online now, um, so it's hard to see how how you could turn that back. And unless there's a very very appealing proposition put forward for people to actually go to physical space again. COVID's definitely turbocharged the yes, online that conversation. People that uh, would never normally shop online have now had to, they've been forced to. So they're now like, oh, actually, this is not too bad. I, I now get how I send the stuff back to the shop and et cetera. All of that, the stuff that was going to happen in five years has now happened in like a couple of months. So, Paul, in terms of what you've been doing now is concentrating more online. Um, For those who are listening, tell us about how we can get involved with your brand and what um, we can do. And when we make a purchase, what actually happens with that money? We've always always said that uh, we want it so that um, we have something that's sustainable, all of our stuff's uh, well priced, uh, good quality as well, and we don't we don't want people to to buy our stuff because of our story or our charity. We want we want them to buy it because of the design, mm-hmm. and that would it pass the pub test? Would they look cool in it? But what we want is um, people to just to wear our stuff, talk about it if, if they're out with their mates when the pubs open back up, if they're traveling, going away or whatever to. Pit, pit, take a picture um, where or just talk about our stuff or share, share what, what we're doing um, or get involved with our community on our Instagram or our Facebook um, that will then help and we can then um, basically keep, keep doing our projects um, yeah ultimately we, we've, we've always driven that, that is you know you don't you don't see people going to a festival the British Heart Foundation or something you wouldn't wear that as a t-shirt on a Saturday night or something like that or or you know out on the weekend you, you'd wear it to run for your marathon and for fundraising or something like that but that's where we try to to separate that um which again is a is a bit of a challenge but 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 as Paul said focusing on product and and on travel the actual 
you know the community side of that that that's what um is really important to us um and and then the projects etc will will come if we get that part right we still look at it going at it seems like we only started yesterday but here we are going initially everyone was like you two can't build a kids campus what do you know about building a school and what do you know you know and and we got that all at the start and then we built one and then it's like oh actually you do know what you're doing and you can do it and then you know we've gone on and built you know a few more now um and, you know, we look at it going, well, you know, what's to stop us over the next 20 years as a brand we see is building up, you know, slowly that's not, don't look around at everyone else, what they're doing, going, well, they've rocketed with this and they've done that. It's just focus on your own thing and get that right. And, and the rest should then hopefully fall into place. And, you know, it's, if it takes time, it takes time. And we're not in a rush. We enjoy what we're doing. We're passionate yeah. about our brand. So I can see um, that. I can yeah. see that. And is that where you see that the success of this journey that you're on will be that when you look back in 20 years time that you've affected children across the globe. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, on, on that, we've actually, we're, we're tying it in. It's becoming much more cohesive as well. So most of it's actually been sold out now, but we did a Brazil range in terms of our kids campus. So we were launching the Brazil kids campus. So what oh, we're doing is tying, tying design stories in with our kids camp stories and we, we we've got a winter story we're looking at building a new kids campus in mongolia so we're you know all of our jackets and we've got we've got uh cable knit jumpers that are uh being made with yaks from mongolia and stuff like that so, so it's all god yeah being tied together and you know rather than just making anything it's like actually no let's let's make something with a good story and and again, it then gives you content. It gives you you know solid yes. stuff for social media, and it and it all flows through together. So that's kind of what we've been been working on. And again, it's just it's that upbringing that we had, just remembering stories and travel and stuff like that. Oh, they did that here, or you know, do you remember seeing that? Well, why don't we make something around that? So the the one thing we've we've never said though is we we never say we're going to make a hundred or we're going to do no. because we know how life can get turned upside down and it's always a tough environment. So we just keep plodding along, doing what we can. When I say plodding, we're, we're, we're racing and we're working quite hard, but, but we're, we're just, you know, getting through day by day, just moving it forward. And, um, you know, maybe one day we'll, we'll look back and we'll turn back and see how far we've come, which was interesting. Again, writing your letter, the, the, mm-hmm. doing that again, just think, look, you, you're looking back, you know, um yeah in, in 20 years time maybe it'll, well yeah, as founders I'm sure you agree Paul you you never really take that moment do you and smell the roses and actually say oh crikey uh, I all of those hours must have paid off because you know I've now built something yeah it's definitely crazy when you look when you look back um you're always looking forward and you even even when I was thinking about when I was writing the letter it was, it was to my 15 year old self and I was thinking even back then I was kind of tough on myself then it's like yeah uh, it's weird so before we go to the letters I always ask my guests um if you could say um on this roller coaster building your business um and I'll, get, I'll start with you Rob what has been one of your biggest lows and biggest highs of building Gandhi's uh, the big, so I think the biggest high, um, we went to Nepal to open our new kids campus there. 
and that was an amazing experience because we also worked with Royal Enfield, um, the you know who are one of the biggest motorcycle manufacturers in the world. Um, we had this opportunity to ride the motorcycles across the Himalayas. So this was a bit different for us because normally we would just go to the kids' campus and open it, and suddenly there we were. And when we're not even motorcycle advocates in terms of we hadn't actually really done it before, I, I went and got a CBT from Wimbledon, and I was riding around in Wimbledon Village. And I was like, this, and the guy was like, so what are you getting this for? Are you like for commuting? I was like, nah, I'm riding around the Himalayas next week. And he's like, what, on on, on what? And I was like, I can't, you know, full on 500cc motorcycle. He's like, what? And I was like, yeah. So that was it. Uh, within a few days of me and Paul, we turned up in Kathmandu and it is one of the craziest cities in the world you could possibly go to. And we went after 18 hours of flying and went straight to the motorcycle shop and we got our bikes and they were like, okay, now time to ride up into the mountains. And we, <laughs> it, it was one of those adrenaline rushes and, and riding through the city centre, me and Paul were both crapping ourselves going, what have we signed up for? And we actually had one of the guys from the office who, who actually rides motorcycles from a kid. And, uh, and he, so he was in Catman. He went, I wouldn't do this. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was quite, it, it was quite challenging. But yeah, that was that was amazing. And then the views, you know, there you are. You're seeing, you know, one of the most impressive mountain ranges in the in the world. You know, you've got eight of the tallest mountains all there right in front of you. You know, you're riding through the amazing villages and people, kind of so friendly. And then again, kind of the kids campus, the project, and and they'd had their challenges with their earthquake and things mm. like that. So they resonated yeah. again with our story. And that that's definitely probably one of the highs highs for me. And um I, th- I think one of the lows uh i think the earlier days when we didn't know how to problem solve as well as what we do now yeah. in terms of wh- when you hit a brick wall, you're like this is the end but at the start those lows seem much scarier you always were dicing uh, because- d- dicing with the sort of be- death of your business weren't you always you felt always yeah, yeah. yeah. and paul tell me about your high and low we have one thing like a, a logistics company um uh, one of our first flip, flip-flop suppliers used their own logistics. They basically um, then gave us a bill for it and we didn't choose the logistics and the logistics company basically charged like 10 times the going rate of what it would be. Oh my God. And then they had our stock. We had to pay them like 10 times the price to get our stock so that we could keep our name all good with the retailers that put orders in. So that was probably our, our big one of our biggest yeah. lows. And then biggest biggest high, I'd have to go with our Sri Lanka project because um, it's quite sad, but also quite nice to be the whole country had went through the same trauma and pain that we had gone through. And um, it was really nice that everyone on the beaches had lit candles, uh, the, you know, the lanterns that you lit up into the sky. Um, so the whole country was kind of on the same page as us. And it was really nice 10 years later to actually stop and think about the, the 10 years where they've gone and what you know like stuff we missed about our parents and that and then um it's in a buddhist village none of our projects we get involved in with uh religion but if there's a re- religion there we kind of we're happy for that to be so um we had a big ceremony and we got the the big uh like respected like buddhist uh priest to come down um and that gave it kind of a stamp of approval um in the area um and it felt amazing to to be there and we did we did the the campus in um our dad's like football color team blue and white because unfortunately he was a qpr fan um there's all these like little personal mm. stuff 
not everyone knows, but like we were kind of trying to make it uh, for them. So it was, that was kind of God, the I best. Can imagine. I can absolutely imagine. Thank you both so much for sharing your story with us. It's been, uh, well, I cannot wait to share this podcast with my family, with my son. Um, he's 15 and I know what you guys were going through at that same age is just extraordinary. And the lessons that you are giving us all, giving me, giving um, the business community, giving school kids, as you say, university, you're in the syllabus, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, And your resilience and your determination, passion to make a difference um, and use your business as a force for good. Before it became the thing to do, you did it. Um, And so you're a real beacon to us all. And um, I'll never forget this conversation. You're a beacon to me. Um, And I thank you very, very much. Um, It's that time of the podcast where I hand over to my guests to read a letter to their younger self. I don't know who wants to go first and I don't know what you're going to say, but I just want to thank you in advance for sharing a piece of your soul with us um, today. Thanks for having us on, Holly. You're very, very welcome. Do you want to go first, Paul? Because you always complain that I I talk first, so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go first. Okay, I'll go first. We've not actually seen each other's letters, weirdly, because okay. I was like, if we see each other's letters, they'll come. They'll probably end up being the sounding the same, and it'll be bad for your uh, listeners. <laughs> okay, well, I, please go ahead then, um, Paul. It worries me what he says. <laughs> <laughs> he always gets nervous when I talk. Um, okay, so this is a letter to my 15 year old self. It may feel as though you've lost everything at this moment and that there is no one you can turn to. That life has been shattered into a thousand pieces around you. And the truth is that it has. Nothing will ever make up for the loss you've experienced, but the loss and the pain will be the making of you. You will harness it in a way that can't even begin to imagine right now. You will draw strength from your understanding of how it feels to really suffer. The strongest people are the ones who have been through bad times and come out the other side wiser and more determined to live their life to the fullest. You will have a deeper understanding of how it feels to be alone in the world and unsafe. And because of this, you will dedicate your life to helping other kids in a similar position. These things may seem like they don't matter because your loss feels so big right now. But I promise you, time heals all wounds. Just be brave and work hard and keep going and you'll be amazed about what you can achieve. You will never forget the things mum and dad taught you. You always live by their example and the lessons they gave you. The the moral compass they instilled in you will always guide you. You will honour them in everything you do. They always told you that you could do anything and climb any mountain and achieve any goal, despite your dyslexia. And you will always keep this close to your heart. They will forever inspire you to help you to overcome any challenge and for that, you will be internally grateful. I know there are times when you are scared about the future, 
when you're not sure if there will be even be enough money for food. And if you have to give up so much, instead of playing cricket and living a carefree existence, your childhood has been cut short. It's hard to accept that you have to get a job now and grow up so fast. But then these challenges and lessons will teach you so much resilience for, for the future. As a result, you will always have the capacity to cope with life's ups and downs and the ability to keep things in perspective. In short, you will be able to take anything that life throws at you because you've survived the worst imaginable and so now you're invincible. Please don't think you're alone because you have your family and especially your brother Rob. He will be beside, walk beside you and be your partner and you will do great things together with the company that you build. You will travel the world and go on so many adventures and you have so much ahead of you, so much to look forward to. Keep your chin up and your head down and everything will work out fine. Paul, thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so, so much. It's very emotional to even, yeah, think about what you, um, yeah, just thinking about your 15-year-old self. Thank you so much. And Rob, over to you. I've got to follow that up now. <laughs> um, cool. Well, uh, yeah, normally, as, as a kid, we we actually I said, oh, can we send a postcard, not a letter? Because uh, we used to send drawings to family. That's what we would do because before social media. But um, but uh, yeah, so it's but it's nice to to write the letter. So um, yeah, hey hey mate, you're going on an adventure of a lifetime that only many can dream of. So embrace it, and it will define your life forever. Don't worry about the lack of education or what you will do when you're older. You won't become a yoga teacher as much as your parents tried to make this happen. In reflection, all that morning yoga in India with your family will be something you cherish the most. You will learn many important lessons on your journey. And though you miss your friends and family back home, they will all still be there for when you truly need them. Now more than ever, you're realizing how important your siblings are to you. They've been there for you like you're there for them. Don't forget this. Your brother will support you. uh, Sorry. Your brother will not just support you in, in life, but in business too. It's a hard, it's hard to imagine the same boy that behaves like Bart Simpson would one day go on to run a company with you, but it's true. It's important to say school isn't everything. You are worried about your lack of qualifications. Don't be. Everyone has their talents and you will soon utilise yours. Dyslexia is part of you, sure, but so is your creativity and and your drive will prevail. All the sport you have played, whether on the beaches of India uh, or anywhere, will give you that competitiveness to push past all the challenges ahead. You will still be competing with your brother many years down the line, but you will still be on the same side and pushing each other to a higher standard. Your life will be turned upside down, and right now you have been left with a lot of unanswered questions. You have suffered an unimaginable loss, which has turned your world upside down, and you find yourself asking, why why has this happened, and what next? Will things ever be normal again? In honesty, it won't ever feel the same again, but nor will this tragedy define you. It doesn't feel like it now, 
but what you will harness is the strength to turn this into something positive and something that inspires people around the world. So just hang in there. You're stronger than you think. You don't realize it now, but your parents prepared you for this in ways that you can't understand. Only later will you appreciate just how much they have passed down to you. That need to explore is something you won't just shake off and your desire to help will stick with you. Always be grateful for them and know that they would be proud. You, you'll spend some time looking for happiness before realising that. For you, joy lies in travel. New people and places will inspire you and make some brilliant memories. Even if that means falling over a thousand times being taught to ski by your brother who said ski instructors are a waste of money, but actually he had one teach one himself and just enjoyed seeing you eat snow. And, and as your parents intended, travel will teach you to be appreciative of the, of the things that you have and there is more to life than just existing. One day you will be fortunate enough to help thousands of children in your career, but be prepared because business has its challenges. You'll have to make some sacrifices and at times there will be many sleepless nights, but your fear of wasting your life knowing it can be taken so easily is not wasted. A thought that you should still live by a, of your parents' ethos is don't just exist. The appreciation of these children is what will get you through these tough times and continue to drive you. So don't lose sight of this. Rob, thank you so much. Thank you both so much because, um, you know, it's just quite extraordinary when you look at the manifestation of what your business is today. And I always say you look back at the golden thread and you can thread it back to a period in your lives. And for you, it certainly was a moment in your lives that was a tragedy, but it has now led to something so extraordinarily beautiful. And as I said before, I, this business community, this community listening um, are your cheerleaders and we just cannot wait to see what you do. And I wish you all that perseverance and that relentlessness that you have gathered from your experience. And I, I hope it propels you to the stars. And thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you, Holly. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Before you go, don't forget, if you want to be in a chance to win a 19-minute mentoring session with me, all you need to do is sign up to NatWest Business Builder, which is packed full of videos and advice, all with the aim to help you build your business and arm you with all the tools you need. To find out more, head over to natwestbusinesshub.com forward slash Holly Tucker. Your support really means the world to me and it really does help spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come